I long for the days when the world had four corners. When you would ride to the horizon line with wind in your hair and would never hit a fence. Recall the age when the young maiden and the distinguished warrior defined the perfect union. Think of this in age, distance, material possessions are carried away by the wind and swept over the furthest of the four corners of the earth. In the constructs of our world, there is no space for gas stations, supermarkets, waffle houses, no time for stares, glances, angry words. Only space and time for old values, old ways, brought into a brave new world. Honoring and remembering Wahonga dead, but not walking among them. Remember the serpent when he carried the waters on his back, when the water ran swiftly, freely, and dams did not exist. Our affection can be without challenge, without obstruction. Just think of the days when the world had four corners. Sometimes you're just at the right place at the right time. And that's exactly what happened to Dan Storper when he first visited Mexico as a young man. He was just so impressed by its people, its culture, its music, its art, that he just knew he had to go on and study more about cultures. And he did just that, and he's done so much more. And he's doing it all through music. I really enjoyed my talk with Dan Storper today here on The Queso, and I'm so glad you're here to listen to our conversation. Thanks so much for joining me. And stay in the know about the latest playlist that Putomayo puts out. Visit putomayo.com where you'll find the freshest, newest music and some new videos every week. So let's get right into it. Uh, welcome, Dan Storper. I hope I'm uh, pronouncing that correctly. That is correct. Um, and um, I'm really interested in your work. And I, what really caught my eye recently was the playlist that you put out uh, Native American music from all over the Americas and Canada and just everywhere. Uh, that really caught my eye. I felt like it was something that we could delve into a little bit more today, hopefully. Sure. Yeah, and so reading about you a little bit, um, I realized that you did study Latin American studies and you traveled to Colombia and you, and you were inspired by an African group. But aside from all that, what makes your love for this world music come alive? Like what inspires you? Where else does it come from besides all right. that? Well, no, there are a lot of influences. I'm sure we all have different um, influences in our lives. And one of the things that, uh, I was lucky enough to grow up in, in, in a time in the 60s when there was a lot of uh, surprising international music hits um, on the radio. This was before things got so formatted and you could hear um, South African jazz by Hugh Masekela or Miriam McCabe with Pata Pata or Sergio Mendez and Brazil 66. And many of these 
you know, kind of interesting groups, even into the 50s, going back that far with Harry Belafonte and kind of Calypso-inspired music. Um, you know, I grew up with hearing a lot of that, and it just had this exotic flavor to it that I was interested in. And I think that was part of the reason I, I, I dove into the music, um, aside from my fortuitous accidents of discovering it or hearing a wonderful African band in Golden Gate Park that led to my starting the Putumayo uh, World Music uh, record label. But um, I, I became a Latin American studies because I had uh, been invited by my aunt and uncle to spend uh, a month traveling through Mexico with their family. And I was just blown away by the history, the uh, handicrafts, the people, and uh, particularly Native American, Native, you know, indigenous people of Mexico. I mean, mm -hmm. that was really what struck me. And then when I started going after college, after majoring in Latin American studies in college, I took off for uh, South America to visit the countries I'd studied. And I just remember having these incredible evenings, especially in La Paz, Bolivia, hearing um, traditional indigenous uh, Andean flute music. Um, you know, in that environment, in that setting, you know, later on I had, you know, good fortune to be able to travel to places like uh, Dakar and Senegal and other parts of the world where you could hear, you know, local music that was not very filtered. It, it represented a combination. There was always this blending of, of traditional and Western uh, music from my experience that was kind of permeating in the 60s in, in Brazil. Um, it was a, a major thing and, and reggae became part of kind of the music world. So uh, people like Bob Marley and others were inspirational. So it really was bubbling up out there around the world. I experienced it personally, but also, uh, you know, had a couple of uh, happenstances that led me to start the record label, Putumayo. So what do you find is the most um, interesting when you visit these different communities and with you know that celebrate their culture through music and they do it in such a way that is so simple yet so beautiful despite many tragedies despite you know uh things that might be happening in their own uh country with their people what inspires them or what makes that beautiful music come through despite all that well i think you know we all through tragedies and challenges and and you know, economic issues and health issues, you know, we all uh, search to find some way to rise above the daily problems. And so music and dance in communities around the world has always been a vehicle for that. And I think that's what struck me so much about my first experience in Golden Gate Park, you know, in person hearing this African band, Katoja, and just realizing how it had somehow brought these people together. And, you know, the weather was lovely. It's a beautiful day and perhaps 75 or 100 people just dancing mm. with, with abandon in, in Golden Gate Park. And it seemed like all was right in the world. And even though I had spent time in the Putumayo River Valley, which later in Colum Southern Colombia, uh, which later became a, a, a drug center and very violent, um, it was clear to me that the crafts, the music, and dance, you know, the, the vibrant costumes that people wore, the outfits that people wore, just was 
something that's undeniable and it, and it is part of the human experience. There's good and there's bad. And um, this is, I think music represents the, the search we all have to, to rise above those problems of everyday life. And as you were uh, a child or a young man traveling with your aunt and uncle through Mexico and you ran across those indigenous communities, which um, by the way, a month to travel through Mexico, what an experience. That's just amazing that you had that opportunity. Oh so, yeah. There's something to say for a good auntie and uncle. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, that is something that I, I, I look back on and luckily my uncle at the age of 96 is still alive. Um, and I am so grateful to him and his, my aunt, Cyan uh, Ellie Reichlin. He, he's, um, you know, the fact that he has led a life you know, medical life as an endocrinologist, but also lectured around the world. Um, and it was because he was invited to Mexico to lecture that he, he ended up taking this trip. And again, without that, I probably, who knows what I would have experienced. And uh, then I was able to major in Latin American studies and spend a semester abroad in uh, Madrid, where actually I was studying the history of colonial Latin America, particularly, because, you know, to try and understand the trajectory, it's important to see the history, which obviously includes some challenging, problematic uh, periods, or, right. you know, the history itself has challenging and problematic parts to it. Right, and I will revisit that in a moment, but as you were traveling and you came across those indigenous communities, what was the thing that, you know, was more obvious to you as you travel through those communities? I'm sure you can compare it to when you were like in the Mexico City or a big city like that versus you were in a small town. What, what struck you the most? Well, yeah, I mean, I think personally, there was something about going into rural communities where, you know, traditions had carried forth for hundreds of years and people were still wearing you know, traditional colorful costumes that they made by hand. And there was something I remember telling my parents when I came back from a trip to Guatemala and a, a few people that I knew that, you know, what, what really struck me was despite the, you know, challenges and history of uh, oppression that existed in Guatemala for decades, if not, you know, obviously centuries, um, I think in general, it felt like the people were happier there than in my surroundings where I grew up in, in Long Island. And so I think there was something to be discovered in terms of a combination of, you know, the way of looking at the world. Maybe there was a reality. They, they made peace with the fact at some level that they had challenges, they weren't gonna be rich, you know, but they had a spirit and a, a culture that was rich and vibrant and they utilized that as a way of, of living life and becoming happier people than they might've been if they just allowed themselves to uh, surrender to their, their surroundings. You know, what's unfortunate nowadays that everything wants to be commercialized. I, I had the privilege of visiting Panama some years ago, visiting the people of the Chagres River, and they basically put on a presentation for tourists, which I enjoyed, was lovely, but at the same time was heartbreaking for me to see that this community had altered their sense of, of living and their way of living to conform to tourists 
and, and tourist schedules and even the way they dress because there was a time when the women and men would do a dance with their children, but the women w would not wear a top as was traditional, but because of complaints by tourists from different parts of the world, uh, they had to alter their dress and, uh, you know, to continue making money that way, which to me, like I said, was heartbreaking, but at the same time, beautiful to see and experience their part of the world. And it reminds me of a story uh, that's probably, you probably heard it, it's like a legend already where a, a Western man visit, visits, visits a country like that and tells a fisherman, oh, you're just fishing one day, two fish a day. Why don't you make a business and then you have a fleet of boats and you can sell them all over the world. And, and he's like, well, what good would that do? And he's like, well, then you don't have to work and you'll be happy. And he says, I'm happy now. <laughs> You know, I'm happy now. I'm going to do all that to end up where I am again without the trouble of, you know, everything that involves being so commercial, which means stepping on people to get there and alienating yourself from your family to do it. You know, it, it's not for everyone, but I just, I love coming back to that, especially in this time that we've been yeah. isolated. Well, no, there, I, I think, you know, it's interesting because I'm in the midst of starting, um, kind of a book publishing effort that will involve some of the things that, you know, have always struck me about uh, what is extraordinary about some of these cultures. And, you know, I don't want to be uh, Pollyanna and look, you know, I don't look at just the, the bright side or the beautiful aspects. I have to recognize that there's a lot of unhappy aspects that need to be addressed and, and evolved. But, you know, I think, the assumption that, that we need to change people to conform to our type of life. I used to call it, um, uh, you know, sometimes I, I would look around as I drove through America and I would call it generica because, you know, you would go down strip, uh, see strip malls and other kinds of places that represented um, commercialization, there's nothing wrong with fundamental doing business if you do it, I think, with some sense of aesthetics and soul and, and responsibility, corporate responsibility. But, you know, I think the reality is a lot of stuff gets done in the United States and around the world that doesn't represent that, that represents some of the uglier, seamier sides of, of what that America what America is about, and and you know, I prefer to, uh, you know, focus and address the issues that that are challenging, but also, you know, support and promote the the the, the great things that come out of cultures like uh, Haiti and Guatemala that have struggled for de you know centuries financially in other ways, and they use music and dance and crafts and art as a way of, of, you know, overcoming these challenges or trying to. And, um, you know, obviously you need food to eat, but you don't need necessarily to go to, a, you know, a place that provides unhealthy food. I mean, if you look at a lot of the people in some of these indigenous places, they appear healthier in many respects. They may not have the medical uh you know, access or, or pharmaceutical access to address issues in the same way that we do in the West. So we live longer partly because we have the benefits of that. But, you know, the reality is many times, you know, that kind of um, 
fun, my sister's a children's nutritionist and she's always bemoaning the fact uh, that, you know, parents will just succumb to, you know, fast food and processed food and, and things that are really not healthy. Right. And, and so, so I think, you know, there's stories told, I'm sorry going on and on about this, but about people who have lived to ripe old ages who, you know, fundamentally lived and ate the way in which I think, you know, we were intended in some respects to eat without getting caught up in the processed and fast food cycle. Right. I think now uh, what our spoiled generation is used to is or complains about is I can't get a Whataburger in Chicago and I guess I'll just have to wait, uh, you know, and that's the biggest problem. Like, you know, it's not someone's killing all the bison and I yeah. don't have meat for my family for the winter. And, you know, and speaking of the, the unhealthy diets that we're have, you know, that we have now, you know, Native Americans here in the United States, you know, in the territories here, they are the, some of the highest, um, numbers of people with unhealthy living conditions, you know, medical access to medical. And it's unfortunate, of course, because this was their land. And this is what caught me, caught my eye about this playlist that we are honoring, you know, some of these in a way as much as we can through music, what they have endured and continue to endure. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the you know, my sister, who, as I mentioned, is a child, children, child's nutritionist, um, has an organization or company called Food Play, where they do programs for schools, and they've done programs for indigenous schools, and she's now living in Santa Fe, um, although she goes back and forth to Massachusetts, and as she's traveling around the country, I mean, it is shocking, whether it's in, on an Indian reservation, or whether it's in inner city Philadelphia, you know, the reality is she observes kids who have been raised on, you know, this basic, I guess you could say brainwashing of television and advertising of what is good and appealing. And that's, you know, certainly we have to recognize it's a different age than it was a hundred years ago. There's a lot more access. There are some benefits to that, of course. But, uh, you know, I think seeking a more balanced approach. And I do think we, uh, through music and, and art and other ways need to understand and reflect uh, and, and promote, you know, what indigenous peoples in, in the U.S. and around the world have to offer. And I think one of the things we tend to think of Canada as a foreign place, well, not even foreign, it's a neighbor, but, you know, they've got incredible music and they've got incredible indigenous cultures and the mix in places like Quebec where, you know, the French mixed with the uh, Native Americans there, that blend is really special. And uh, you'll hear on, we have a, an album, a physical album called Native America. And then we did this uh, Native America's playlist that was partly inspired by an old album we had done called Native American Odyssey. So this playlist that you can find on Apple and, and Spotify include some of the songs from both of these albums that we've done and some other songs as well. Um, so, you know, I hope people can discover. And the thing that I think Putumayo's tried to do more than probably anything else is provide access and entree and introductions to people who may not know anything about mm -hmm. uh, a type of music, a genre of music, uh, 
uh, the music from a from a particular area or particular culture. So, um, you know, it's I think a healthy, reasonable introduction uh, through the Native America's playlist. Yes. Now, this Native American Americans playlist, how I, I assume that the music is passed down through generations. How do how was that preserved, and how was that? You know, how does that get in your hands so that you can play it? And, you know, where does that come from? Well, you know, what we like to say or have said over the years at Putumayo, and I, I give credit to Jacob Edgar, who's consulting with us now for the last 10 years, but was an employee for about 10 years as our, our primary researcher. And I used to joke he had the best job at Putumayo. You know, I had to deal with the daily issues. But, I, you know, I, I always picked the, the final songs and did the sequencing and was involved in, in the editing, write, writing liner notes. We try to provide in, in information about the artists and the song and the culture in the booklets. Um, and I think, you know, um, the world of music is vast. And so part of it is that, you know, as an ethnomusicologist, he was always interested. As a music fan, I've been always interested. And our goal is to search out uh, around the world, what, whatever the theme is we're working on, uh, to find songs that will translate to people. You know, we're not Africa or Native America 301 or 401. We're trying to actually be African American, Afri you know, African or Native America more 101 as a way in, and then you discover who you like and styles, and then you can dig deeper. Um, and so, you know, my hope is, and the thing that I probably get more pleasure out of is hearing from people who say that they were introduced to a specific artist or traveled to a, an area because they were inspired when they heard the music. And that's happened a lot uh, over the years. and especially if you don't know much about African music, places like Mali, um, people in, in Zimbabwe like Oliver Mitakudzi or Habib Kwate in Mali or uh, others in, you know, in, in different parts of Africa or Latin America, people aren't familiar with it. It's not played on the radio very often or in, you know, unless you have a lucky enough to have a really good you know, public radio station. Or now, I guess, if you can search it out on the internet, you can find more. That's the great thing about today that we have Spotify and all those platforms where we can listen to music. Really, when we tune into the radio, I guess once in a while in the car, but even then you're plugging in your device. So that's great. And that's a great way to get the word out. Um, so well, I, I'm impressed in a way, having now spent time, you know, I, I was dragged kicking and screaming into the digital age. You know, I like the packages. As I mentioned, we're working on developing books, yeah. some with music connected to them. But um, you know, now that I've spent more time working on digital compilations and um, and playlists, you know, we haven't launched the digital compilations yet, particularly. But the playlists on Apple Music and Spotify allow the flexibility of not just including the songs that you've been, that we've had on our albums, but also songs that we've discovered along the way. So that combination makes it quite special. And so we now, I think, have something like 16 different playlists. We're also um, pleased every week we put in a new 
uh, video from around the world. So at our website, which is www.putumayo.com, you can experience a different part of the world through the videos and the music playlists and the, the CDs. And we're also offering children's books, uh, multicultural books, 25 of them, and art uh, cards and things like that. So we're trying to kind of present the world in accessible bite-sized uh, portions, let's put it that way. And it's not so bad being digital, because I am still from the time where I would have to wait for a FedEx package with a CD and a, sh and a bio sheet so that I could do an interview, so that I can write an article. <laughs> so yeah. this was great, you know, just being able to connect quickly and get you here quickly so that we can talk about this uh, now. And, um, you know, I think it's really exciting that you're doing that. And I know there's going to be lots of musicians. I know some world musicians uh, here in the Chicago area, if any of them or their groups were ever interested in recording an album with your record label, what would they have to do or is there a process? Yeah, well, we, you know, our A&R office is based up in Vermont in a little town called Charlotte. And if people go to our website, putamayo.com, you'll see that you can submit music um, to the A&R office. Um, but we don't sign artists. We've actually did that for a little while, and I joked that it was probably the most difficult thing that I'd ever done. And it was uh, doing compilations is a little bit like dating, and signing an artist is like getting married. And I had a have a wife, or had a wife actually. Um, I'm separated now, but um, you know, I, I felt more comfortable being able to access the world's music instead of, you know, battling in a studio over specific songs or trying to get the sound right on a tour or, you know, get albums into the stores through the distributors. It was always a challenge to, you know, and so we stopped releasing artist albums. So we license individual songs from labels and artists to, you know, to create the compilation and that, process you know starts out with thousands of songs and includes a lot of research to get down to the 10 or 12 songs we include on an album okay so it's like world musicians recording their music and if you happen to come across something that catches your ear it could become one of your playlists it could end up yeah we, well we have about fifty thousand or sixty thousand songs in our database we keep adding okay and we're constantly listening and seeking out more music we get some sent to us but you know, as I mentioned, someone said to me, the, you know, the world of music is an ocean. And so in a way, our role is to curate and find songs which we think work together to support a theme that, as we say, guaranteed to make you feel good. Mm -hmm. um, it could be yoga albums. We've released four yoga collections. It could be French music because that's certainly wonderful, melodic, but you know we've obviously specialized in Latin, Brazilian, African, and other types of indigenous, not just indigenous, but you know the blend. There's something magical. You know, there's colonial history has a, a, an ugly side, but there's kind of positive uh, aspects to it in the sense of the way in which music has musicians have played together, music has traveled and influenced and created um, these hybrids. So, you know, what you hear in the, in Cape Verde is not just Cape Verdean music, you're hearing music that was pr 
produced and created by slaves, escaped slaves, um, Portuguese fishermen, traders. Uh, and, you know, you'll hear these comparisons. I, I live in New Orleans, and in the southwest Louisiana, Zydeco is uh, a very popular music in the African-American community, and now it's spread. People love the, the sound. When I was in Cape Verde Islands, you know, I heard some music uh, that really sounded like it was completely connected to Zydeco, and it included, a, included the use of a washboard and other types of instruments that were often homemade, but you know, created a sound that was related. And I think that's what's great now. Hopefully more schools will integrate this type of music in school music programs. Uh, I would love to see that. My own daughter plays the violin in the orchestra, but last year they actually had a mariachi band to go along mm. with it, which I thought was really great. I'm like, you know, there's more to playing a violin than in an orchestra, like many people might think. Um, and it's just, it's just be, you know, exposing children uh, at a young age to appreciate music and appreciate people through their music and culture more than anything. Well, I should mention that, you know, one of the, the nicest aspects, the best aspects of the work that we did, we started the label in 93. And then in 1999, we released our first kids oriented album called World Playground that became quite popular and is still available. Um, but we we started releasing a series of children's albums that included, you know, fun, upbeat songs like African Playground, Latin Playground. Uh, and then we started realizing that people were asking for songs that would help their children fall asleep. So we created a Dreamland series and have several Dreamland albums. Um, and it's interesting that Native American music, particularly flute music, has such a peaceful, quiet aspect to it that it actually has worked in some of the Dreamland albums to help put kids to sleep and also in, in a couple of the yoga albums. So, you know, it, it, it crosses uh, and, and has influenced other musical, uh, you know, here in, in Louisiana, don't, people don't think about the Native American population, but there was a significant Native American population that blended uh, with the African-American community and created a history of, of uh, parades, Mardi Gras parades, and, um, you know, experiences that, uh, you know, reflect the blending of these cultures that were oppressed in those decades or, you know, for a long time. Uh, and that exuberance that came out of it was a way of, of addressing and dealing with the problems. I have to chuckle when you said uh, that it helps put children to sleep. You have some albums like that because my middle child, when I used to live in Detroit and I used to go to an art fair every, every summer, a specific art fair, and there was always an Andes group, from, a group from the Andes, and they would sell their cassettes. And I had this one cassette, and I think you have one the, that song in your collection, mm. the same song. Um, and that was the only thing in the car that would make her calm down and then finally go to sleep. That was the only thing. And well, I, you know, I, I had a son late in life and, uh, you know, I had the same challenges. I'd have to drive him on the road places. And there, you know, were songs that I would test out with him to see if it would be effective. And then when we started doing, you know, when we were doing the kids' albums, he would listen to songs and give me his feedback. He was, uh, you know, kids tell it like it is, you know? Yes. They feel it. They feel it. And I, and, I, and I hope more people will feel this album, this playlist this, this year. 
Um, like I said, I was really excited to see that come out. And before I let you go, um, any words about Thanksgiving and how we connected to our native ancestors here in the U.S. and just how we celebrate nowadays, how maybe you can make that a little bit better? Well, you know, I think we, we recognize, you know, one of the reasons we no longer, at least we uh, don't celebrate Columbus Day, you know, because, you know, there is now Indigenous Peoples Day. That's the idea that, you know, these cultures have been around for centuries, for thousands of years. And, you know, we were lucky in some respects, I guess the first settlers to uh, experience the uh, beneficence, the generosity of, of Native Americans who, uh, instead of going to war, you know, accepted them. We didn't always reciprocate in kind, and we often didn't. And uh, I think we have a responsibility to ex uh, you know, express our thanks and appreciation to the Native American people uh, who gave us so much. And, and frankly, a lot of what we eat, corn and other types of food, were really cultivated, created, developed in the Americas. It wasn't brought over from Europe. It was uh, developed and a lot of the um, blending, uh, you know, places like um, Honduras, where the Garifuna people blended, escaped slaves uh, with native indigenous cultures. That music, I, I really highly recommend people check out uh, the Garifuna Collective, Andy Palacio. There's a number of great artists from Garifuna culture. So I think there's a way of experiencing the music of the Americas and understanding that it's not one dimensional. There are many different cultures and each have a musical uh, expression as well as dance and art. And uh, I think it's a moment to look at that and express our thoughts, appreciation. Well, that is just beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I really appreciate your time and the work that you're doing. I wish you all the best for continued success and I will continue to follow you. And like I said, um, good thing for digital platforms because this is why I came to you. And uh, thank you so much. I hope you- well, Thank you, Amelia. And uh, thanks to anyone out there that knows and, and has, has been willing to try some Putumayo albums over the years now playlist. Great. Thank you so much. You have a nice okay. holiday. You Take too. Care. Enjoy Thanksgiving. Bye. You too. Bye-bye.